Welcome, everybody, to the Kona Shame Veterinary Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Andy Rourke. Guys, I'm here today with the one and only Dr. Bonnie Price. Um, she is the director of the Technician Master's Program, uh, as it's informally known, at LMU. Man, this is a lightning rod program. A lot of people have a lot of strong feelings about this, about a technician uh, master's degree. Why are we doing this? What does it allow technicians to do? Is this the path to the mid-level practitioner? Do we need to stop it before that happens? Um, I get her in and ask her really hard questions and we talk about a lot of things. We talk about where the program came from. We talk about what someone would do with a master's that they get after being a credentialed technician. We talk about the return on investment on a master's like this. Uh, and then we get into the mid-level practitioners and we talk about what that looks like and uh, where we are in that debate as a profession and how a master's program like this would fit into mid-level practitioners if they were to come around. So guys, I think uh, for those of you who watch the industry and think about the future, I think there's a lot of meat for you to seek your ticket into if you're into meat. Otherwise, a lot of a lot of audio tofu if you're if you're into that. But there's a lot here. That's what I'm saying. There's a lot here that I think you guys will enjoy. So let's get into this episode. This is your show. We're glad you're here. We want to help you in your veterinary career. Welcome to the Cone of Shame with Dr. Andy Rourke. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Bonnie Price. Thank you so much for having me. Oh man, it is my is my pleasure. So you and I are just meeting for the first time. Um, I am so glad to get to be my friend, uh, Bob Lester, Dr. Bob, Dr. Lester, who's been on the podcast a number of times. He speaks so highly of you, and I am so interested in uh, in the in technicians, obviously, in technician uh, job tracks, and in accessibility of care, and. Boy, you're you're doing something really interesting that I want to talk about. And so for those who don't know you, you are an associate professor of vet medicine at LMU, which is Lincoln Memorial University, and you are the director of their uh, Masters of Veterinary Clinical Care, which is uh, some people are calling it the Technician Master's Degree, uh, right. something like that. I, I want to talk to you about what that is because I okay. have, I have heard things I think are true. I've heard things I think are not true, and I I just want to I want to sort this out with you and understand what's going on. And so let me let me start. I want to start really broad, and just sort of say to you, I'm looking at our profession, and the right, the biggest problem that I'm seeing right now is is a labor shortage, specifically in in, in veterinarians. And I I know I'm sort of vet centered because I am uh, I am a practicing veterinarian. Um, but I look around and I say, guys, we got too many cases. We got more cases that we can see. And we have technicians who want to do more and they would like to earn a living wage, which seems reasonable to me. And so this feels like a problem that has a fairly straightforward answer in my mind when I say we got more work we can do. We got people who want to do more work and we got people who would like to earn more salary like that. That seems reasonable to me and kind of paints a picture of where I think our profession should go. How do you feel when I say that? Does that line up with what you're looking at? Am I, am I off base? T talk to me about how you see technicians in our profession right now. Okay. So yeah, I agree with everything you just said. Um, I, I don't know. The one thing I don't know if I agree with is the straightforward solution. Okay. Um, so I think that the problem becomes a lot more complicated when we start looking at all the pieces. Yeah, okay. So we've got- Let's do this. <laughs> no, I'm, 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 you're so right. And I'm, I'm here for this. Let's do it. 
Okay. So, you know, I think um, we we definitely have a workforce shortage. Um, I, you know, I think that I, I'm not sure why, but there is some disagreement among some professionals saying that, but I don't think there should be. I think maybe overall, uh, maybe we have it on veterinarians um, to, to cover the needs of the country. But then when we start looking at the places where we need veterinarians, sure. we don't necessarily have them, right? Um, we definitely don't have an, enough technicians. Um, you know, we're in a situation where, you know, a lot of practices are using uh, veterinary assistants to do technician work. Um, so we definitely don't have enough credential technicians. We've got credential technicians leaving the profession in really high numbers. Yes. Um, you know, I've read lots of different statistics, um, but some of them say that the average kind of lifespan of a technician in their profession is seven years. Yeah. They become a credential, credential technicians. They leave within seven years. Um, so I think that when we start to, to pull apart the threads, what are the problems that we're seeing? Um, there's a lot we've got. So we've got this issue of. What's the scope of practice of technicians and how is that scope of practice protected state to state? So are technicians the only ones able to do technician work? Um, no, in both states, no. Um, is the title of technician protected? In most states, no. Um, you know, it, is there a requirement to be a credential technician? You know, in many states, no. Um, so we've got this mess of yeah. veterinary technology that I think, you know, I think it, I think veterinarians are to blame. You know, I think we can say that because we're both vets, <laughs> okay. right, Andy? So, I think it's your fault. Yeah, a lot of the, you know, the power in this profession is in the hands of veterinarians. Yeah. And so, oh yeah, we really need to understand what's going on with technicians so that we can start solving this problem and then and then give the power to them right right so once we kind of figure out what's going on help them give the power to them to kind of do with their profession what they want to do right. that's how i feel about yeah. it so so i guess you know i think the the best thing to do would maybe be start with what this master's program is that we've made um and so you mentioned you've heard you've heard a few things. So you've heard some things that maybe are true, some things that maybe yeah, yeah. aren't true. Okay. Um, and I think you maybe have heard things that were at one point true and now are okay. no longer true. Yeah. Let me um, let me so, lay this out a little bit. Okay. So so yeah. now we'll start we'll start to get into because you already touched on some of the things that I'm talking about. Um, I so my understanding is that that you guys are, have rolled out this new master's program uh, and it's um, sort of a, a as I've heard it called the technician master's program, but it's the master's of veterinary clinical care. And um, there's a lot of people who say, well, this is a path to a mid-level practitioner, which is a whole other can of worms. But, but the idea being right. this would be something in between credentialed technicians that we have now and veterinarians where this would be the perfect sort of educational path to have technicians that worked without uh, either with maybe with without supervision from a veterinarian, let's just say. Um, and all of this is sort of hypothetical and there's no there's no legal structure to support this happening or any of those things. But some people say that this is sort of the path to the to creating the mid-level uh, practitioners. I, I think that some people get really bent out of shape when they hear that because they feel like it's uh, it's maybe not something that they like. And they're like, oh, is this, this is a wedging that door open. And there's other people who say, no, this is an advancement of uh, a veterinary technician as a career path. And, and then you hear a lot of the things that you 
touched on yourself where uh, vet vet technician credentialing is such a quagmire right now. The whole thing is so messy and bogged down. And I think there's so much frustration. I really think that's a huge reason why the vet nurse, whether we call technicians nurses or not, it's a massive, ugly debate. And I think a lot of it comes down to frustration about licensing and protection of, uh, of technician, you know, abilities and, and yeah. And, and making that, making the, the certified vet tech, uh, position valuable. So there's just so much frustration there. The whole thing just devolves into pieces. And so, so that's kind of the nasty yeah. kind of ball that I'm kind of looking at. And so, yeah, as we start to talk about, okay. about the master's program, just, just start with me at, at the beginning and just sort of say, you know, um, yeah. what, what's, what's the goal of a master's program? Why, why would, why would we do this? What are we trying to accomplish? Okay. Let me start. Yeah. Let me start earlier than that. Okay. Let me start with before I, I came on board as director of this program, um, February 22, 2022. So it's two, 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 okay. which is kind of a cool start. That's nice. to bring that Easy to remember. <laughs> uh, so I've been with the program about a year at this point. Um, our first class started this last fall. So when the program was originally conceived, this was, I mean, really, I think pre-pandemic that, that people first started talking about this master's of veterinary clinical care program. Um, so that was before I was on board, but I was with LMU. So I did hear a little bit about it and I was kind of pulled in from time to time because before I took this job, I was the department chair of the undergraduate um, veterinary programs at LMU. So the pre-vet program and the veterinary technician program. Okay. Um, so the original idea for this program came about um, at a veterinary innovation council meeting. And some people were talking about workforce shortages and the idea of a mid-level provider came up and a mid the idea was a mid-level provider could um solve a lot of these problems that you brought up you know right at the start mm -hmm. right we've got workforce shortages um you know we need people in to see to see clients um we need to improve practice efficiency we need to improve access to care in the profession so the mid-level provider was the innovation that came from that that meeting and so um, a number of those people that were involved in that conversation are associated with LNU in different ways, um, either on the College of Veterinary Medicine Advisory Board, um, former employees of LNU. Um, and so they started saying, well, what could LNU do about this? And so they wanted to create a master's program that was mo truly more of a mid-level provider when you think of like a physician's assistant mm -hmm. kind of thing, right? Um, so a lot of the early conversations about that program are, are rooted in that origin. So over time though, it's evolved. And so once I started getting involved, my background is in vet tech education. Um, and so I had some, some thoughts about, um, about where the master's program should go. And I had some concerns. Okay. So one of my biggest concerns was that there's no, there's no, as you mentioned, laws to support a scope of practice for a mid-level provider. Right. So, in, in every state in the country, the only person that can establish a VCPR is a veterinarian. The only person that can diagnose, prescribe, prognose, perform surgery is a veterinarian. Um, and so we can't really create, we can't create a program um, for somebody to do those things if they can't legally do those things. Right. However, having worked with technicians for about 10 years um, at an associate's and bachelor's level uh, with the undergrad programs, 
I knew that many of my students were frustrated that they didn't have more opportunities to advance their education. And having talked with other vet tech educators, I knew that there was a need for advanced education for technicians. Um, so veterinary technology is, from an educational perspective, really unusual profession. So uh, veterinary technician programs are accredited by the CVTEA okay. um, through the AVMA. There's one set of accreditation standards or skill, kind of skills and knowledge that they need to know. And those are, it, whether it's associates program or a bachelor's program, it's, there's one set of skills. Does that make sense? Yeah. So there's no distinction in the accreditation between an associate and a bachelor's level. So really, you know, if you look at it from that perspective, veterinary technology is a profession made up of individuals with associate level skills and training. Mm -hmm. um, that's unusual for like a healthcare profession. Oh yeah. Right. To only have somebody at that associate level. Um, so we're starting to see bachelor's programs. Um, there's about 28 in the country right now. Um, and so the guidance that they have from the CVTEA is to build on those associate level skills that are accredited. Um, but there's not a distinct set of bachelor's level skills, right? The way there is in, if you look at human nursing, there's a set of things you learn at the associate level. Okay. There's a set of, of standards at a bachelor's level, a set at the master's, a set at the doctoral level. So this to me is interesting. So then when we start looking at technicians, technicians, I mean, you, you love technicians as much as I do, it sounds like technicians are smart and they want to learn mm -hmm. more about what they're doing and they don't have an opportunity. I, you know, I know a lot of technicians, including some that actually, um, some DBMs that teach in my program that were technicians who wanted to learn more. They didn't have anything to do, but go to vet school. Right. Yeah. So I've seen some really smart technicians. We lose them to vet sure. school. Um, and I've just, you know, over the years being a tech educator, I've thought, what if there was an opportunity for techs that wasn't going to vet school if they wanted to get a yeah. master's or a, a doctoral degree, right? So that was kind of the the where I was coming from right. when I came into the, these conversations about this program. So, you know, we've got this this set of things that these guys wanted to do originally, which is improve practice efficiency, improve access to care, um, and I thought a really strong technician workforce can do that, right? Mm -hmm. If we utilize the technicians that we have now to the top of their license, and then if we make opportunities for technicians to learn even more knowledge and skill in veterinary technology, you know, scientific theory, medicine, then we can have a really, really strong technician workforce. So we can have kind of tiers, right? We can have people up to, I mean, eventually I'd love to see a doctoral degree yeah. for technicians, but I think we're only through there. Um, but it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like the VTS, right? So the vet tech specialist, having more people with more knowledge in their field is only going to improve it, our profession, if then we as the veterinarians use those people, right? Yes. So that the first part of my agenda is to create an educational pathway for for these technicians that want to learn more about th what they're doing, you know. And then the second part is to actually teach veterinarians what what a technician is, how they're educated, what they can do, 
Um, and so what the second thing that I'm doing at LMU is, is I'm actually going to start teaching in the vet, vet veterinarian um, curriculum, talking about those things. Who is a vet tech? How are they educated? What are the skills they know? How do you use those skills efficiently mm -hmm. in a practice? Um, you know, how do you delegate work? That kind of thing. So, so that's kind of, that's kind of where the program went, right? So okay. now what the program is, is we are a master's program for credentialed veterinary technicians. And we build on the knowledge and skills learned in those CBTA accredited programs at a master's level. Okay. All right. I want to, I want to say this back to you and make sure that I got it. Okay. okay? So. What we have right now is we have uh, credentialed uh, veterinary technician programs, and those tend to mm -hmm. happen at either an associate level or a bachelor level, but they basically turn right. out the same degree, even those those investments may be different. Is that right? I mean, sort of. I don't want to say they turn out the same degree, but but technically there isn't any guarantee of difference. Right. Does that make yes, sense? Yes, exactly right. I know yeah. the bachelor's. Yeah, vet tech bachelor's programs are really good. Yes, <laughs> oh yeah, I know a lot of people work. Yeah, I, so I get that. So, so I guess what I'm what I'm looking at now is so so we've got these we've got these uh, credential programs. So we have an associate level and a, and a bachelor level, and so they turn yes. these out. And there's also the veterinary uh, technician specialty program, which is kind of like going into specialty uh, and being boarded, uh, it, but it's very specific in, in a in a certain topic. And so what you're sort of talking about is adding in a master's level as well to to to, to mm -hmm. broaden the learning path beyond getting your credentials, right? And I, th I think that that's yeah. very, very true for technicians. I think one of the reasons that we lose technicians so much is they come up, they get they get their uh, certified vet tech, uh, you know, degree, and then this is your life forever. And they go, I don't, they, what do you mean I'm done? I'm like 26 years old and, and I'm done. And they're like, yep, hope you enjoy this because there's nowhere else to go. And they, and they leave the profession. I think it's a real problem. I think that is also a problem, just so you know, with general practice veterinarians. I think that that's something yeah. there is, is a lot of people get their DVM. And then after a while, they kind of feel stale. And it's sort of like there's not a career, a clear growth pattern beyond that. And I think that that's a problem in our profession. So so you were talking about sort of adding in this master's degree. It's not the same as a, as a technician specialty uh credentialing, you right. know what I mean? Um, but it is, it is continuing down that, down that developmental pathway. And so that makes sense to me, I guess, as far as what it is. My, my question is, you know, when we get to this point, what, what functionally does this look like? You know, so we've already talked about sort of the problem with having the bachelors and the associates and, and functionally when they come out, there's no, there's no protected difference between those between those degrees, how is the master's program going to be different from that? You know, yeah. what does this unlock for them? I guess is the is the question. Yeah, and so you know, for me, the master's program, it's not. I mean, it's the same way uh, an associate program or a bachelor's program isn't a a set specific career, right? Um, but I think it sounds to me like what you're asking is like clinically, what can, what can they do differently or just, no, I mean, I, 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 honestly, if you said to me, Hey, is this master's, uh, you said this master's is a path into industry. I would say, okay. And, and I would understand yeah. that that's what it was. Um, if you said this is a path to teaching in other veterinary technician programs, I would say, okay, yeah. I, I get that. But, yeah. but, but that's really the question I'm kind of putting back to you is to say, you know, I let's say that um, that my daughter Jacqueline, who uh, who loves vet techs and and you know can see that as as a potential job. Let's say that she she's she's fifteen. She's always away. Let's just say that she gets 
uh, her her CVT and she's looking at this program and she would say, Dad, I want to go to this program. And I would say, yeah. what are you going to do with that degree, Jacqueline? Uh, yeah. Help Jacqueline answer that question. So I think there's a lot of things to do. And I think you kind of said a couple of them, right? So um, the same way there are jobs for associate level technicians in all of these places there, you know, I think are jobs for master's level technicians in these places. So right now, I know a lot of techs with master's degrees. Sure. The master's degrees they have are in things other than their field, right? Other than veterinary technology. So business, education, you know, maybe some random, you know, I think I, I know one with a history master's, right? Um, so here we've got more knowledge about veterinary technology. Um, so right away, opportunities in education. Um, so we can get really into the weeds. This is kind of my area sure. as a you know academic administrator, but we can get super into the weeds about rules about who can and cannot be faculty at different colleges. Um, but it's difficult, particularly when you get to four-year institutions, um, it's difficult to have technicians as instructors and faculty because of institutional accreditation requirements for like terminal degrees. So if we've got a technician who wants to teach at a four-year college mm -hmm. in a technician program, the right now the terminal degree in veterinary technology is a bachelor's degree. Yeah. So they could not teach any, they, the only, technically the only degree that they would be allowed to teach would be at an associate's level. Does that make yeah. sense? Mm -hmm. So then we get into these like, kind of tricky ways to get around that at a lot of four-year colleges um, where we get different, they get different master's degrees and maybe some certificates in veterinary technology, right? It just gets complicated. And so what ends up happening because it's easier is tech, uh, is veterinarians end up teaching technicians how to be technicians when we, when we kind of know that veterinarians don't know, you know, what technicians can do, right? Like it, it should be up to the technician to do it. So as we start increasing education levels, terminal degrees for technicians, then they've got more opportunities in an academic setting um, to get faculty and instructor positions. With those kinds of positions come things like research opportunities. Mm -hmm. So then we can have technicians doing research in the field, advancing veterinary technology and veterinary nursing um, in that way. So I think there's a lot of academic and research potential, but that's not the only potential. I also think that clinically, you know, the same way VTSs can bring a lot to the table clinically, a master's level technician is going to be able to bring a lot. So they've got, you know, they don't have that, our students are going to have that same focus as a VTS, but they've got a broader knowledge. So in re instead of just, you know, an anesthesia focus or an emergency critical care focus. We've got a broader knowledge in surgery, anesthesia, internal medicine, right? Um, so here we can, within the exi existing practice acts, I think there's a lot more that VTSs and master's level technicians will be able to do without delving into that diagnosis, prognosis, prescribing surgery. So, you know, if we think of, I know clinics that use um, ECC or internal medicine VTSs to, you know, do initial triage, do initial patient assessment, come up with differential diagnoses, right? I mean, we're not diagnosing, we're just kind of preparing a differential list and getting those diagnostics started before a veterinarian sees that patient, right? And that is all within existing 
practice. And so if we've got these really smart master's level technicians, we can start to kind of improve efficiency and practices that way. Um, you know, several, so I've got about 30 students in this first class. Um, most of them are working in small animal practice. Um, and the majority of them are in leadership roles. Mm -hmm. A lot of them are responsible for training programs mm -hmm. within the practice. And one of the big conversations that we have is just about the realities of their practices now. Ideally, they only want credential technicians doing the work that credential technicians should do, but there are workforce shortages everywhere. Some of my students are the only credential technicians in their practice. So they're kind of practice manager, head technician, and they've got to train, you know, these veterinary assistants to do things. So understanding veterinary technology and, and medicine and all these things at a higher level is already helping them make better decisions in their practice in terms of leadership and leading their technician and assistant teams. Okay. That, that makes sense um, to me. I, 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 yeah. I can see that. Hey guys, I just want to hop in really quick and give a quick plug. The Uncharted Veterinary Conference is coming in April. Guys, I founded the Uncharted Veterinary Conference in 2017. It is a one-of-a-kind conference. It is all about business. It is about internal communications, working effectively inside your practice if you're a leader. That means you can be a medical director. It means you can be an associate vet who really wants to work well with your technicians. It means you can be a head technician, a head CSR. You can be a practice owner, practice manager, multi-site manager multi-site uh, medical director. We work with a lot of those people. This is all about building systems, setting expectations to work effectively with your people. Guys, Uncharted is a peer mentorship conference. That means that we come together and there is a lot of discussion. We create a significant percentage of the uh, schedule, the agenda at the event, which means we're going to talk about the things that you are interested in. Uh, it is, always, as I said, business communication focused, but uh, lots of freedom inside that to make sure that you get to talk about what you want to talk about. We really prioritize people being able to have one-on-one -on -one conversations, to pick people's brains, to get advice from people who have wrestled with the problems that they are currently wrestled with. We make all that stuff happen. If you want to come to a conference where you do not sit and get lectured at, but you work on your own practice, your own challenges, your own growth and development. That's what Uncharted is. Take a chance. Give us, uh, give us a look. Come and check it out. It is in April. I'll put a link in the show notes for registration. Um, ask anybody who's been. It's something special. All right, let's get back into this episode. Talk to me about the pushback against this program because there there are definitely yeah. people who have strong negative opinions. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of I'm I'm personally kind of surprised when I see this. But but do me a favor and kind of lay down lay down the the push against this program for me in a, in yeah. in a way to sort of understand where, where where people are coming from. So I think the biggest pushback I get, and honestly, <laughs> so honestly, it's kind of the the concerns I had. So I took this job. Um, because my dean is going to kill me. I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it, Andy. Okay, so I I was asked a couple of times if I was interested <laughs> in this position, and I kept saying no. Yeah, like, <laughs> I don't need that kind of stress. Because, yeah, I was like, oh. <laughs> um, because I knew, right? Yeah. I knew that like everyone would be looking at it. Uh, I had a I had a great job. Like I loved my job, like as department chair with the undergrad programs, working with undergrads. Um, but I, but I did see this as a really great opportunity yeah. to advance education for technicians. And I had, I had some concerns that I thought 
if I can get in, I can kind of put the brakes on things a little bit Mm -hmm. and we can be a little more organized about our approach, if that makes sense. So the concerns that I had coming into it were we don't have any laws to support a mid-level provider. I do not like the term mid-level provider because I I think that everyone's definition of what that is is different, right? Yes. We can all say that word and no one is talking about the same thing. Um, so I don't like the term mid-level provider and I wasn't, honestly, I wasn't even sure when I took this job, if I liked the idea of a mid-level provider period, but my opinion on that has changed and I'm happy to talk about that later. Um, I, you know, originally this program, um, had different requirements for entry. So it wasn't only for credential technicians. And so I, I thought. God, we really, it really needs to be right. So there were lots of issues I had with it. And I think the pushback that I've gotten since I've started the job, um, and I appreciate the profession's honesty. (laughs) They'll tell you you what (laughs) they think. Yeah. Yeah. I want to, um, yeah. Cause I want to incorporate it. Right. Like, so I really do value like the feedback I've gotten from people. Um, but I think the the biggest concerns I've had is how can you promise somebody that they're going to have be able to practice more sure. after graduating. Yeah. Right. And so, and, and, and that's not what the program is. I mean, that, you know, years ago, that's what the program started as, um, but it's, that's not what it is now. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really a master's program for credential veterinary technician. Um, I think the other pushback, the other biggest pushback I get is um, return on investment. So that's a phrase I hear a lot. ROI. Yes. What's the ROI of this program? Yeah. Um, and so that one is really interesting to me. Um, so, we, and the answer is, I don't know, right? We don't know because this is the first class. You're talking to a guy who has a master's degree in zoology. Like that, that's, I have that. Okay. I, you know, <laughs> and I go, I, yeah, it's yeah. kind of, you know, the, the, I, I think ROI is a great question. Like I said, if my daughter wants to go, I'm yeah. going to ask her, what does this get you? Yeah. I have a master's in zoology and like, it did right. not unlock fountains of wealth for me. Just so you know, I don't know that I can justify having it. It was, uh, yeah. but, but I, I loved it and I did it and yeah. it, it informs the way that I think. And I am a better student of life, uh, because yeah. I, I had this experience and I have this, this knowledge and the process of going through it and just doing something I was passionate about. And so I, I, I totally understand that. So that is, so that's funny. Um, because I threw that question, I threw the ROI question out to my students in a discussion board last fall. I was like, all right, what's the ROI, yeah. guys? And I actually have a student whose bachelor's degree is in, I think it's business administration, okay. something business, yeah, yeah. right? And she, is, and she said, listen, the first thing we learn in, in school about ROI is that fi- financial ROI is not the only kind of ROI. Mm-hmm. It's not the only way you measure returns. And so a lot of my students, the ROI for them is kind of what you just described. I know more about this thing. Mm-hmm. I've got this education, right? I can do more at my job with it. I will say that most of my students have already negotiated for more money once they finish this program or they've negotiated for their employer to pay for part of it or all of yeah. it. Um, so they're, you know, they're already kind of doing that. The program itself is 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 a really affordable master's program. So right now, as we're recording, uh, it's around twenty thousand dollars for the whole master's program, right. uh, which isn't bad. Um, the other thing, you know, the other kind of pushback I get. So ROI is the big one. 
I don't know how much more on average these these students are going to make when they graduate, but I do know that they have definitely come into this understanding that they may or may not make more, you know, yeah. and they've made that decision. Um, the other thing, oh, I lost my train of thought. Hang on. Well, I'll jump in and, and sort of say, you know, um, yeah, it, it's it's interesting too how people think about education in a lot of ways. Um, a, a lot of it is a confidence thing for people. A lot of it is yeah. feeling like they're capable of doing other things. There are some people who feel like um, they they could never stand in front of a class and teach if they didn't feel like they had credentials that clearly, yeah. you know, empowered them to do that. And you might say, well, you don't technically need a master's degree to do that work. But I do think for some people, it's almost an emotional need to say, I feel like I need to really have this knowledge if I'm going to present myself yeah. in this way. And so I don't know. It, it's just a different type it. of ROI. It, it's definitely the money. You could say, wow, you could yeah. save $20,000 and not do it. But if you say, well, I need $20,000 to believe that I that I have this opportunity, uh, that that's you can do that math for yourself. Yeah. I've got one student who um, works in veterinary technician education right now is not doesn't hold like an instructor or faculty position once they complete this they will they will be eligible for that which comes with i mean i think within a year or two the program will have paid for itself um you know the other thing about master's programs is you know the, the other kind of pushback i hear is that master's programs have the worst like lifetime ROI in terms of like how much you pay for it and I get the, that. I, the money that yeah. you're going to get. I get that. Um, so, but, but let me tell you this, cause I've been in education a while and that if you look at all of them together, that's true. Like if you do an average of all master's programs together, that's true. The most, I think the most popular master's program in the country is an MBA and that has a negative return of investment. Uh, surprisingly right like negative return of investment um the ones that have the highest return of investment are master's degrees in healthcare professions so i'm hoping i mean obviously we don't know that that's going to be the same for for veterinary healthcare but i'm hoping that that's going to hold true for veterinary healthcare the same way it does for for human healthcare yeah we I always always optimistic about the future i'm super optimistic for technicians in the future in vet medicine i i really think there's huge upward potential there and, and i think that's already kind of tracking that way so i am i am optimistic I, I i hope you're right there let's let's talk a little bit about mid-level practitioners because that always yeah. comes up into this and people say is this the is this the path and i've heard people say you know when human medicine started doing mid-level practitioners they already had training programs before this was licensed to actually happen. And so I, I've heard that sort of uh, put forward in relationship to the program that you're running. So talk to me a little bit about, about mid-level practitioners. And, and I really, I like what you said as far as when we say mid-level practitioners, everyone has a different picture in their head. And I have 100% found that to be true. So, so when you say mid-level practitioner, what are you talking about? And then let's start to talk about how that intersects with what you're doing. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think in, in the sense that I think of it, well, I think of it in a few ways. Um, one of the ways that I think about it is just kind of, I ask myself it, the basic question, would I be okay with, and, and I do, and I do, I'm in the camp that if we have this advanced practice provider or mid-level provider in veterinary medicine, I think it should be a technician. Um, so in my head, I think, would I be comfortable working with a technician who does some level of diagnosis, prescription, even minor surgery, mm -hmm. um, 
And the answer is yes, I, I would. If I had training that I could be, you know, feel good about, I would. I have worked with VTSs, and I've worked with people that aren't even VTSs that are smarter than me. <laughs> <laughs> You're kind of like, hey, did you think about this? I'm like, I did not think about that, right? So I know, I know that Chunks could do it, right? I live in a part of the country where almost all of my healthcare providers are either nurse practitioners or physician's assistants. Mm-hmm. They are wonderful. You know, I mean, I, I know that this isn't something that only a veterinary can do. I've worked, I've got an MPH. I've worked in parts of the world where non-healthcare p- providers are trained to do specific skills. So for example, they've got, um, so I've, I've worked in parts of Africa where people who have not gone to school to be doctors or nurses are trained how to do one surgical procedure. And they do that surgical procedure better than doctors and nurses from, you know, other parts of the world, right? So I, this isn't something that I think only a veterinarian can do, but we've got, but we've got to kind of agree on what we're comfortable letting technicians do that encroaches into those four things that only a vet can do right now. In the UK, vet nurses are already, veterinary nurses are already performing minor surgical procedures. They're doing disbudding without a veterinarian present. Mm -hmm. They're doing mass removals. You know what I mean? So we've already got that in other parts of the world. So I think the conversation, like, I think let's start here at this baseline and then maybe you know, set some goals for the next few years, mm-hmm. five years, 10 years. But let's start a conversation about rather than saying, do we want a mid-level provider? Let's say, what are we comfortable delegating to a highly trained technician? Yeah. Right. So a BTS sure. or a master's level technician. Um, and I think that we can agree on some, you know, I think yeah. that we as a professional, we veterinarians, we, we absolutely agree that there's some things that we're comfortable delegating. Um, I think, you know, I, for me also being in a rural setting um it is hard for me if i need to get healthcare for my animals outside of hours yeah. you know mm-hmm. uh i don't have access right so there i start talking to to technicians about well gosh why couldn't we get creative about how we're using telehealth to establish vcprs via telehealth with maybe a trained you know highly trained technician present with the animal do you know what I mean? So yeah. I think there's, I think that we can start talking about these things and agreeing on things that are sensible. Um, I think that, I think the first step is to figure out what are the real concerns that people have. And so the things that I've heard about mid-level provider concerns, the one that I hear most commonly, and it, this one frustrates me the most is, well, look what it's done to human medicine. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know what that means. Um, because when I look yeah. at it, it's like, I think it's a proof. I can go see a doc, you know, I can go see a healthcare provider now because there's a nurse practitioner in my town that I see. Um, so I, you know, I think more specifics there would be helpful. Um, you know, I think other concerns are what are the, what are these people going to be doing? But we can come up with a list. We can come yeah. up with a list of things that they're going to do. We can come up with educational accreditation standards, you know, we can come up with all these things if we just kind of sit down and, and, and figure out what we're scared of and what we're okay with. Yeah. No, that, that, that makes sense to me. I, I thought, I thought a lot about this and, and I agree about 
mid-level practitioners looking differently in different people's minds. I, I, I can imagine three or four different ways that something like this might look. And it's everything from kind of the dock in a box model that we have you know, now where you have a in the human medicine, you have a nurse practitioner at CVS by themselves doing the thing, uh, all the way over to basically the dental hygienist who's working very independently in the building with the doctors. And I, I could see we're nowhere close to the dental hygienist model. We keep, we've talked about it for freaking as long as I've been in the profession. And I don't know that we've really, we've migrated in that way some degree, but, but anyway, I, I think this thing can manifest a lot of different ways yeah, where technicians have autonomy to practice, to really take some of the workload off of, off of veterinarians, to be part of the healthcare team, to have upward mobility in their training and their education, in their income earning ability. I think all those things are, are really possible. The, the devil's in the details. I, I, my worry in all of this is that people react so emotionally strongly that we can't talk about it. And then uh, veterinarians, I I worry that veterinarians are going to take themselves out of the conversation, meaning I'm going to get mad. I'm going to dig in my heels. I'm not going to talk about this. I'm going to try to shut it down. And then powerful external forces, namely pet owners demanding service and entrepreneurs with money to make it happen coming in, they're going to just make their own way and I don't yes. think we're going to like it. And that that's my so, worry. And so anyway. I'm, I 100% agree with you. So I was just going to say that, you know, so the AVMA recently kind of put out um, an article saying, oh, it's not the time for a mid-level provider. Yeah. Um, NAFTA, similarly, they did a, a you know, a, a survey among members saying like, here are all these things. Where do you rank mid-level provider? You yeah. know, it's close to the bottom, right? So that's fine. And I, and if you read kind of what the AVMA said about all that, it, you know, it, it's, it, there are legitimate concerns, right? We don't have yep. the laws in place. We don't have the educational system in place, right? But those are things we can do. Um, but what you just said is also my worry. So we've got the AVMA doesn't make the laws, right? right. NAFTA doesn't make the laws. Um, state legislatures make the laws yep. about how we practice in our state. And if we do start seeing you know, pet owners lobbying together, mm-hmm. industry lobbying together, um, you know, kind of powerful organizations lobbying together, they can get in and start changing the laws. Yeah. And I think that we as a veterinary profession, veterinarians and veterinary technicians equal at the table yeah. need to have conversations about where we want this to go. Yeah. Right. Because I think that the pet owners, you know, shelters, all of these other stakeholders are are wanting to see change and they're fed up. Yeah. And it's state legislatures that make the laws. Right. That and that's that's where I'm I the cautionary tale that bothers me is the taxi drivers. And the taxi drivers, I remember as Uber rolled over them, were clutching their medallions that they had paid for from the city that let them operate yeah. a licensed taxi and saying, We paid for these. We have this agreement. The laws say that we're the only ones who can deliver people around. And all around them, Uber drivers just picked up their livelihood and drove away with it. And no one came in and, uh, you know, protected them. And it was, yeah, the laws were set up for the taxi drivers. And yes, they did have a medallion. And yes, they did pay their dues. And they did all the things they thought they were supposed to do. And when people wanted to ride an Uber and Uber showed up with a business model that worked and people who wanted to do the work, our country is set up so that the capitalists win. And I'm not commenting on good and bad and whatever, but it is what it is. And I think about the frustration Mm -hmm. of those taxi drivers and I say, 
I am concerned that those taxi drivers are going to be veterinarians who are pointing at what the state licenses or the state practice acts used to be and saying, oh, no, 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 we're the ones who make that decision. And, and I'm afraid that the rules change and, and we're on the outside. And so I'm not I'm not saying that to scare people. I I think about it a lot. I think for me, I, I want to engage what pet owner desires are because I don't think pet owners are OK waiting okay. three weeks to get in to see us. Um and so I think that I'm worried that by deprioritizing an issue that I think is important to pet owners and that looks like a massive business opportunity for outside forces, I'm worried that we are going to be reacting to what other people do to our profession instead of stepping forward as leaders of our profession, recognizing which way the yeah. tide is flowing and positioning ourselves in the most acceptable, most advantageous way possible. I think 100% <laughs> that there's ways that technicians can have more independence and, and do more for us and veterinarians can benefit from that hugely. I also think there's ways that the technicians can have more power and that veterinarians are, are damaged by that. A lot of it is how do you position yourself and, and how do you look at the situation and do you accept kind of where things are going and, and read the writing on the wall and, and make some adjustments or do you dig in your heels until you get squished? And, and I hope that that's right. not true and I don't mean to be morbid, but I really, I really do look that way regardless of whether you like the idea or not. I think you can say, I like this idea or I don't like this idea. And in both cases, I still see these external pressures. I still see kind of the way that that things in our country tend tend to work um and i i need to go ahead and position myself so that i can adjust and still be in a very good place while these changes yeah. happen yeah i mean and i feel like that's that's the kind of pragmatism that we need to adopt right so um if we if we close our eyes to this problem now say we're not ready as a profession and do nothing right. we'll still we still won't be ready in five years right yeah. and and all these external forces will maybe have moved on without us. So I think let's be more organized as a profession and really have the conversations about what are the real legitimate concerns and how can we overcome those? You know, so one one concern I hear a lot is in many states, nurse practitioners, I might be getting this wrong, either PAs or nurse practitioners can work independent of a physician's you know, of a physician oh, yeah. kind of set up their own thing, right? So that is like that I think is a big concern when people say, Well, look what's happened in human medicine. I think that might be one of the things that they're talking about. But we don't have to do that, right? We can set our own rules. So if we if we're organized now and we don't we we want people practicing under a veterinarian, then let's start making those rules yeah. now. Does it be, you know see what I'm saying? Oh yeah. Um and kind of get ourselves organized. I had a I have a podcast episode it'll be out when this episode comes live but it's not out as you and i are talking um but i spoke with the founder of a company called booster pet which is in the state of washington and it's a, it's a practitioner and in washington technicians can work under indirect supervision from the from the doctors and some of the practice stuff there was changed during the pandemic to allow establishment of a uh veterinary you know client patient relationship uh virtually and so, so Booster Pet has a central clinical location and they have wellness satellite locations where they do not have a doctor in the building. They have technicians and they have basically a telemedicine setup. And so the doctor appears on the screen in this building and the technician does the wellness work, you know, does, does all the, everything that there has a video otoscope, you know, cameras to show the doctor things, stuff like that. But there's not a doctor in the building and the technician is working. And this is not an idea. This is happening in the state of Washington yeah. now. And I, and I look at that and I, I process this and go, 
the, you know, the pet owners want it. It's a lower cost examination. I, I believe it's a lower cost examination, but they can get in there. They can get seen. And sure, some people don't want it, but there's other people who say, wow, this is convenient and, I, and, I, and I'm here for it. And then, so anyway, I, I, again, I just, uh, I, I appreciate you referring to my view as pragmatic. That's kind of how I see, how I see myself. I am, I'm an optimist, but I am also a pragmatist and, and, I, and you can balance those things. But yeah. anyway, I'm just looking at that a lot. As I said, I, I think this is an exciting time. I think this is a time of radical change in our profession. Anyway, I really appreciate you taking time, uh, Dr. Price, to come in and talk with me and, and just kind of brainstorm. Um, I could keep talking to you for another for another hour for sure. But um, but anyway, I'm going to let you go. But thanks for being here. If uh, if people want to learn more about the uh the Masters of Veterinary Clinical uh, Care. Yeah. Where, where do they go? We have a website. Um, so it, the easiest thing, honestly, to do would just be Google Lincoln Memorial University Masters of Veterinary Clinical Care, and I'll take you the website because sure. it's at the moment not one of those easy short websites, you know, addresses. Uh, but it'll take you to our website, and you can check that out. Um, that is the best way to do right. it. I'll put it. That's where the information. I'll put a link in the show notes for people. I'll okay. run it down and it'll be there. But otherwise, people listening can Google it. Thank you so much for hearing here, guys. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it. Uh, I will talk to you guys soon. And that is our episode, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it. Thanks again to Dr. Price for being here, guys. Thanks a lot for uh, for checking this out. If you enjoyed the podcast, if you got something out of it, do me a favor and leave me an honest review where you get podcasts. If you did not enjoy the podcast wait and try another podcast and see what you think of that and then see how you feel before you write a review that i don't know that's just that's just a thought anyway guys take care of yourselves be well i'll talk to you later bye